The first reading is from the book of Proverbs. A good name is to be chosen rather than great riches, and favor is better than silver or gold. The rich and the poor have this in common. The Lord is the maker of them all. Whoever sows injustice will reap calamity, and the rod of anger will fail. Those who are generous are blessed, for they share their bread with the poor. Do not rob the poor because they are poor, or crush the afflicted at the gate. For the Lord pleads their cause and despoils the life of those who despoil them. The word of the Lord. Please join me in the psalm. For today, we'll read responsively by a half verse. Those who trust in the Lord are like Mount Zion. The hills stand about Jerusalem. The scepter of the wicked shall not hold sway over the land allotted to the just. Show your goodness, O Lord, to those who are good. As for those who turn aside to work wicked ways, the Lord will lead them away with the evildoers. Reading from James. My brothers and sisters, do you with your acts of favoritism really believe in the glorious Lord Jesus Christ? For a person with gold rings and with fine clothes comes into your assembly, and if a poor person in dirty clothes also comes in, and if you take notice of the one wearing the fine clothes and say, have a seat here please, while the one who is poor you say, stand here or sit at my feet, have you not made a distinction among yourselves and become judges with evil thoughts? Listen, my beloved brothers and sisters, has God not chosen the poor in the world to be rich in the faith and to be heirs of the kingdom that he has promised to those who love him? But you have dishonored the poor. It is not the rich, is it not the rich who oppress you? Is it not they who drag you into court? It is not they who blaspheme the excellent name that has invoked over you. You do well if you really fulfill the royal law according to the scripture. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. But if you show partiality, you commit sin and are convicted by the law as transgressors. Whoever keeps the whole law but fails at one point has become accountable for all of it. For the one who said, you shall not commit adultery, also said, you shall not commit murder. Now, if you do commit adultery, but if, if you do not commit adultery, but you do murder, you have become a transgressor of the law. So speak and act as those who are to be judged by the law of liberty. For judgment will be without mercy to anyone who has shown no mercy. Mercy triumphs over judgment. What good is it, my brothers and sisters, if you say, have faith, but do not have works? Can faith save you? If a brother or sister is naked and lacks food and one <clears throat> daily food, and one of them one of you says to them, go in peace, keep warm, and eat your fill. And yet you do not supply their bodily needs. What is the good of that? So faith by itself, 
if it has no works, is dead. The word of the Lord. The Holy Gospel of our Lord Jesus Christ according to Mark. Jesus set out and went away to the region of Tyre. He entered a house and did not want anyone to know he was there. Yet he could not escape notice. But a woman whose little daughter had an unclean spirit immediately heard about him. And she came and bowed down at his feet. Now the woman was a Gentile of Sephirian origin. She begged him to cast out the demon out of her daughter. He said to her, Let the children be fed first, for it is not fair to take the children's food and throw it to the dogs. But she answered him, Sir, even the dogs under the table eat the children's crumbs. Then he said to her, For saying that, you may go. The demon has left your daughter. So she went home, found the child lying on the bed and the demon gone. Then he returned from the region of Tyre and went up to Sidon towards the Sea of Galilee in the region of Decapolis. They brought to him a deaf man who had an impediment in his speech, and they begged him to lay his hand on him. He took him aside in private, away from the crowd, and put his fingers into his ears, and he spat and touched his tongue. Then looking up to heaven, he sighed and said to him, Ephatha, that is, be opened. And immediately his ears were opened, his tongue was released, and he spoke plainly. Then Jesus ordered them to tell no one. But the more he ordered them, the more zealous they proclaimed it. They were astounded beyond measure, saying, He has done everything well. He even makes the deaf to hear and the mute to speak. The Gospel of the Lord. As many of you know, I spent about five years of my adult life in Vancouver, Canada. And let me just say, if you haven't visited there, make sure it is on your bucket list. It's a beautiful place. I went there as part of a mission organization. And the story I'm about to tell you, some of you may have heard before, at least in bits and pieces, but I find that it is a great illustration for this morning, so please bear with the repeat. Three years before I went, this mission organization started with a team of six people, a family of four, both of their kids under the age of 10, and two single adults. They were from all throughout the world. The family was from New Zealand. The, uh, the female single person was from the UK, and the male single person was from America. So a real international organization. And they went, and they were going with the plan and the goal to love and serve the poor. And this meant for them that they were moving into the downtown east side. Now, if you've gone on a tour in Vancouver and you go through Chinatown, you will end up going through the downtown east side, and it's a pretty unique place. See, what happened is over time, both intentionally and unintentionally, there were things that happened that caused all of the troublesome behavior to move into this one small neighborhood made up of no more than four blocks right at the corner of Maine and Hastings, or as many would call Maine and Wastings. And it was the place where most of the social services were. 
It was also the place where most of the SROs, single room occupancy buildings, affordable housing, where most of those were located. And it was also the place where the police officers would turn a blind eye, ignoring drug use being used right out in the streets and ignoring women having to sell themselves on the corners. This was a place where people who were experiencing homelessness, extreme poverty, they were experiencing addictions like dr to drugs and alcohol, and women who were caught in the sex trafficking trade. This was a place of extreme poverty, and so this community moved intentionally into that neighborhood. When they first moved, they didn't go with any great ideas of what they were going to do. Instead, they spent time learning. They wanted to see what the needs of this community were and where that intersected with their own gifts and passions before they decided how they were being called to serve their neighbors. And so one of the first things they started to investigate was the need for food. You think homelessness, poverty, there's probably a great need for food, especially because there were no grocery stores anywhere nearby. What they found, though, quickly was actually there was food in abundance. You could go from about 6 a.m. in the morning to about 9 p.m. at night eating from place to place to place, whether it was a soup kitchen or someone serving food out of their van. You could find food just about every half hour. So food was not the need. But this provided a great opportunity for this team of six to start to get to know their neighbors. So they would go to these soup kitchens and these community centers that were handing out food, and they would start conversations with their neighbors. And something that they quickly found was that while they waited in line, and they had their trays, and they sat down at tables, their neighbors were very hesitant to talk to them. There was very little interaction going on between the people who had great intention serving the food and those receiving it. There was very little community happening, very little relationship building. And what they discovered was there was no real sense of belonging for most of their neighbors. And as they started hearing stories from some of those neighbors that would open up to them, they were realizing that not only was there no sense of belonging here, but these people had lost their families for one reason or another. These people did not feel often welcomed in a church or a faith community, and so they really did not have any sense of belonging. And so this little group of six, they thought about, what could we do? And they decided that that was what they wanted to offer. They wanted to offer their neighbors a place of belonging. They were already doing this habit of making dinner as a whole and eating together about five nights a week. So they decided, you know what, let's just make twice as much food. And we will invite those that we talk to during the day. And they're hanging out in the park or going to the community center to play basketball. Those that they're interacting with are saying, hey, why don't you come on over and have dinner at my house tonight? So they'd invite them over. And slowly, slowly, more people started to come into their little apartment building. And after a while, they found they needed to make more room. And so they went and they had to go and get chairs from the local uh, secondhand shop. All different kind of mix-match folding chairs, mostly, or stackable chairs. 
and they basically shoved about 12 people around a table that was designed for six. Slowly, over time, they again needed to make more room. So they went back to the second hand shop, purchased a bunch of little card tables, and when it was mealtime, they would put them at either end of the table so they could make more room. After a while, they got a house of their own in the downtown east side. It was a beautiful open main floor. And there they're able to serve over 45 people on an average night. They have the dining room table maxed out, people sitting around the sofas in the living room, and on a summer night, the two, three nights of summer that we have there, uh, they have probably about 15, 20 people around this picnic table that we built in the backyard. And it's awesome because it has this little palm tree, palm trees in Vancouver, who would have thought? But they have this palm tree growing out of the center of it, and it's just a beautiful space. And what's most beautiful is that it's not a place where people are coming and getting food, but first off, they're getting, usually when I wasn't cooking at least, a good home-cooked meal. But more importantly than that, things like the food was getting passed around the table like it was a Thanksgiving meal. There was no standing in line. There was dignity there. But more than that, it was a place of belonging for these people. This was a band of misfits who had found a place, found a home, all because of this small group of six were willing to make room at their table. This idea of making room at a table was something that came to me again and again as I was meditating on the lectionary readings that we have set for us today. It seems to me that Jesus himself was challenged to make more room at his table, not only literally, but his table of ministry, of who was invited to receive his ministry. The authors of James and Proverbs both challenge their readers to make spaces at tables where we hold our values and our judgments. And I think we, too, today are called to make room at our tables, both literally and metaphorically speaking. But I do recognize that this is hard work. You see, we're probably comfortable with our meals as they are now. We know what to expect, if nothing less. The manners are normalized. The company is familiar. You may not love them, but you know what to expect from them and you can tolerate them. As it is right now, it may be easy, but making room might come with challenges. But I think today's readings all offer some suggestions of how we can find ourselves ready to make more room at the table. First, to make more room requires a shifting of not only our chairs, but our values. As indicated in both Proverbs and James, in both of those readings, we identify that human behavior often tends to value those in power. We value the celebrity. We value the billionaire. We value the politician, all above the person at the bottom of the heap. 
In general, we are more likely to make space for a person at a table who, and give them the place of honor who is in that power. Often, I think, it's because we hope to be like them, and if nothing else, by being associated with them, we will gain some of that power. But scripture reminds us again and again that to be community needs to be inclusive of all and that we can be blessed as much, if not more so, by those that are at the bottom of the heap than those who are in power. And so to make room at the table, we must believe that all are truly welcomed and that what we normally value, we slide to the side to make room for what God values, so that we can value those who are different from ourselves, especially those who are not yet sitting at the table. To make room at the table also requires us to listen to the other. Often those who are left out from the table are those who are unlike ourselves, They may see the world differently, but they also have much to teach us. Jesus demonstrates this very idea this morning in our Gospel reading. While some would suggest that the response that Jesus gives to the Gentile woman is simply something coming from a place of testing her, I think it's probably more likely that Jesus was actually learning himself in this moment. Now, when I first thought of that, it kind of startled me a bit. I think, wait, Jesus is God. How can he learn? He must have it all figured out right now. But the reality is, is Jesus is also fully human in this moment. And to be fully human means to be learning throughout your entire life. I think all of us, if we're truly being honest, know that we have a long way to go before we have it all figured out. The story may just be one of these moments where we hear Jesus himself realizing that what he thought he was there to do was expanded upon because of his ability to listen to this Gentile woman, somebody who was an outsider. Because he listened to her, he allowed his mind to be blown wide open. I think this is important for us. In the generation of Facebook, it's so easy to post our beliefs, our ideas, and our worldviews. And it's so easy to comment against something that someone else posts that we don't believe in. And we talk right past each other, never actually learning from the other person. I think it's easy to hold tight of our worldviews and not allow ourselves to truly listen and therefore never allow our minds to be blown wide open. To make room also requires trust. Trust in God and trust in one another. And while making room is going to be a scary act, We must trust that it is truly kingdom work, and therefore God has our backs. 
We may find at times that we're sitting at the table and we need to make room for another person, but the person we're sitting next to just does not want to slide over. We may have to encourage and help them to slide on over. And that is a hard process, but we must trust that it is worth doing so. There may be other times that we find that there's empty space sitting right next to us, open for someone to come join us, and yet we are intimidated, we are scared, and we think, surely it's not my duty, my responsibility to invite someone to sit next to me. But trust that it is and that God gives you the gifts required to do so. I think the psalm, the first line of the psalm today, can be a real encouragement as we try to have faith and trust. For it says, Those who trust in the Lord are like Mount Zion, which cannot be moved but stand firm forever. Trust in the Lord, and when we do God's work, we will find that, we are, that our feet have a firm footing. Making room at the table will not always be easy, but with faith we can do all things. And we will find that our table, our table will not break. It'll simply expand. So to make room, we must be willing to allow our values to shift to be more like God's values. We must be willing to listen and learn from the other. And we must have faith that it's all worth the struggle. And as I conclude today, I do want to recognize that there may be some of you here today who are feeling like you're not part of the table, whether you feel like you haven't really been invited or you feel like you've been kicked out. And for that, I'm sorry. But I ask two things of you. First, to have faith. To believe that even when a part of this imperfect body of Christ that we are may not make you feel like you are welcomed, the truth is you are always welcomed at God's table. And second, I know it's hard to ask this, and maybe it's not even my place, but I ask you to please speak up, to let us to hear your voice and to learn from you, not only so we can invite you to the table, but that you can be part of the beautiful dinner conversation. The team, the tiny team of six in Vancouver, perpetually made more room at the table. It was a room for a diverse community. Many of those would have been considered outsiders by most of society. It's been over 10 years, and some of the original people coming to dinner still come almost every night, for it is their primary place of belonging while others came for a time and then moved on. Some have come, and because of that, in part, they have found freedom from addiction. While we witnessed lives that were lost to addiction. One person in particular was caught up in addiction when he was first invited to the home through our support and the support of many others in the downtown east side, he found freedom from addiction. He found God. 
He felt a call into ministry himself, moved to Cambodia, lives amongst the poor there now, serving them for more than five years. All of this because a small team made room at their table. And as we come forward today to share at this beautiful table, at God's table, when we come forward in just a few minutes, may we be reminded of the good news that there truly is room for all of us here.